So as Heidi mentioned earlier, we start a new series today uh, on the fruit of the Spirit. And as I came into uh, the sanctuary this morning, Heidi was doing some things with uh, with the worship team. And and I, she asked me about the oranges and why they were here. And I said, well, so during this series, we're going to have different fruit at the at uh, at the center of the of the platform, you know, since we're talking about fruit of the spirit, I said, well, how many how many uh, how many characteristics are there? And I said, well, there's nine. And she said, Dad, I don't think you can name nine fruit. <laughs> and I took her on the ch- I took her up on the challenge. I, I didn't appreciate her challenging me, but uh, but I uh, many of you know that I'm not the greatest fruits and vegetable guy. And so I quickly rattled off oranges, apples, grapes, bananas, which are real quick caveat there, I absolutely think are the one of the more disgusting fruits out there. I'm not a fan of bananas at all, and I know some of you are saying, but they're so good for you. They're really not. Um, I'm not a fan of them at all, uh, but bananas, lemons, limes, and kiwi. And, um, and immediately, Heidi looks at me and she says, well, there's seven. And Dane Nix, because he's such a compassionate guy, saw that I was already in trouble. This is embarrassing for me. I'm thinking, there are a lot of fruits out there. Why can't I remember these other ones? So I tried to throw Heidi a curveball, and he said, limes. She said, you already said that. And so at this point, I'm thinking, this is not going to go over very well for me. And so then I said, strawberries. And then Dane looked at me and knew that I needed to be rescued. And Dane said, just say nectarines. I said, nectarines. So we're good. So there's nine. So I'm happy about that. And as I was thinking about this, I, what, what began to sort of sink into my, into my mind was how difficult it was for me to come up with nine fruit, which is very embarrassing. But if I were to ask you what are the nine characteristics that are listed in Galatians chapter 5, would you be able to do that? There's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's patience, there's kindness, there's goodness, there's gentleness, there's faithfulness, there's self-control. God is at work in amazing ways. One of my favorite theologians, John Stott, would pray that, that the fruit of the Spirit would be more and more evident in his life every single day. He prayed that every single day. And so we have these characteristics that, that, uh, that Paul lists for us in Galatians chapter 5. And as we go through this series, not only are we going to have a different fruit on in the, in the middle of the platform, but we're also, I'm going to share with you some fun fruit facts just to get us going. Because we are called to be fruit-filled people. And so here are, here are the facts for today. First is this, a kiwi has more vitamin C than an orange. I found that fascinating. A kiwi, more, more vitamin C than an orange. The reason why apples float in water is because they are 25% air, which I found interesting as well. The most money that has ever been paid for fruit, and this blew my mind when I saw this, it was a fruit sold at, it's called the Japanese Yubari cantaloupe. Two of these once sold at an auction for the following. $23,500. Now, I don't know about you. I was talking with Mark Rollins about this yesterday. I'm not going to pay two cents for a cantaloupe. But these people paid $23,500 for two cantaloupe. I don't know what was in the cantaloupe. I have no idea. Maybe it was a golden ticket to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. I don't know. 
But $23,500 spent for two cantaloupe. These people saw value in this fruit. Do you and I see value in God cultivating His fruit in our lives? Do we see value in being a people that is marked by being fruit-filled, spirit-filled, fruit-filled individuals? Paul writes these words in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 22. He says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This morning we look at we look at love. And love is a very powerful, powerful force. Not just a force, it's a very powerful experience, a very powerful reality. And I invite you to open your Bibles to first John chapter three and hear these words that John writes about love starting at verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts do not con- if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's command lives in him and, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word, we have sung that your love is amazing. We stand in awe of that. How marvelous, how wonderful is the love that you have for your people. And Lord, we turn now to these passages and we would ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, 
Open our minds that we may understand and open our hearts that we would be transformed so that we could be even more spirit-filled, fruit-filled individuals so that you would be lifted up. And I pray, Lord, that no one would hear anything that I say, but that they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear. And that through all of this, that you, Lord Jesus, would receive all glory. For you are the great lover of all. And we stand amazed at how great your love is. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as we start this series, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and we talk about these nine characteristics, and and as we get into this, I want to remind us of a few things in case we have forgotten. And the first thing that I want to remind us of is this, is that the Christ-following life is one that grows. Growth is not an optional thing for Christ followers. Growth is something that needs to be happening all the time. We recently planted a, a miniature lemon tree in our, in our, in our front yard, and, and actually Don Meister planted it because I don't know how to do that stuff, but he planted it, and it was, it's, it's growing. But when Don and I went to bed that night, we didn't wake up the next morning thinking, man, let's go out and pick some lemons. Growth takes time. It takes time. And so often we sit there and think that growth is going to happen just like that, but that's not accurate. And as we talk about being Christ followers, what we're talking about is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. And listen to these words that Paul writes to the Galatians about the importance of growth and how essential he finds it to be. He says this in Galatians chapter 4, starting, well, just verse 19, he says this, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. Real quickly, there is no greater pain that, that humanity experiences than that of childbirth. And I don't know how Paul knew what that pain was. But yet I'll tell you, it's deep, it's intense, it is, it is unbearable at times. And so Paul says, I, I am experiencing so much pain for you. And here's the pain. It's this, I will continue to experience this pain for you until Christ is formed in you. He's saying, I want so much for growth to happen in your lives that I'm in pain when it doesn't happen. I want, his, I want you to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Paul understands that as we become more and more like Jesus Christ, what ends up happening is we become more and more like the people that we were designed to be. Growth is expected. And this verse, Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, is a key verse on why we call what happens in this building at 9 a.m. spiritual formation classes. Because we're desiring to see people's lives formed by Jesus Christ. We have wonderful teachers, incredibly gifted teachers that are teaching a variety of things from the youngest all the way to the oldest. And so I invite you, if, if you're not involved at 9 a.m., to, to come here on, on Sunday mornings and, and to be involved in these spiritual formation classes 
And yes, I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that only showing up at 9 a.m. And, and then coming to worship, that you're going to be fully grown in Jesus Christ just out of three hours a week. But it's in these, it's in the 9 a.m. hour and it's in the 10.30 hour where we gather for corporate worship that we desire those other 165 hours for you to be trained and equipped to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. Growth is not optional. And then Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and we already read it. It says this, he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, and then he lists the nine. Notice that he says fruit. He does not say, but the fruits of the Spirit. All nine of these fruit work together to make the fruit. It's ongoing. It's a work in our lives. And I would encourage you to do as John Stott did. I would encourage you to to pray that God will make these fruit viable and, and noticeable in your life, that he'll continue to work at that in your life. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. And so we talk about love this morning. We talk about love because love is first and foremost on this list. Paul leads with this because he understands that how great and powerful love is, that lives can be changed. And so for the remainder of what we're going to be looking at this morning, it's found in 1 John chapter 3. We start at verse 11. For this, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. John has his issues going on with this congregation. There are deep-seated hate going on in this congregation, and he's trying to confront this, and he's trying to address this issue. He says, this message we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He doesn't hold back. He says, this is something that we need to know, that we need to remember, and it's been a message from the very beginning. And you would think that he would give us a positive example. But John lists one of the most extreme examples that he could come up with. And I don't think it's by accident that he goes to this particular individual. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Verse 12, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. The message that we've heard from the beginning is to love one another. And then John gives us this extreme example of Cain. As you look at the creation story, we get caught up in how long did it take to do this? What happened on this day? What happened on that day? What happened on this day? And one of the things that, that I think gets overrun on it, or overlooked, I should say, in, as we look at the creation story, is that God did this because of his incredible love for all of creation. The creation was an overflow of who God is. So John can say, this is the message that we heard from the beginning, and people know that from the very beginning, God has cared for humanity. God has laid out this very thing. But the reality is this. As you read through Genesis 1, 2, 3, and you come to chapter 4, you realize this, that that message was not heard for very long. Cain murders his brother Abel. And why did it happen? 
It happened because Abel presented a, 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 an offering to God that, that, that apparently was, was more heartfelt or more sincere, perhaps. But Cain, instead of learning from that experience, responds and he murders his brother. The love that Abel showed the Lord was met with a harsh reality that sometimes love always will get a response and sometimes that response it gets is not always good. Abel loved God. It was met with murder. So often we want to think, well, I love you, I care about you, I did this for you, you should respond better. But there are times in our lives when we extend love and it is met with resistance. It is met with hatred. Go down to verse 14. It says this, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. What an incredibly powerful statement that John makes here. And what he's doing is he's showing another extreme of from death to life. And what he's equating death with is hate. Hate denies life to others. It does not want the best for the other person. It does not look out for the well-being of the other person. Hate always denies life to others. We live in a world that is filled with hate. We see it all the time. People hate this. People hate that. And it's one thing when you're a sports fan to, well, i got to be careful I say this, to not like other teams. But it's a whole different ball game when we see what's going on in the world today when we ha- where we have one people group have such hatred for another that they want them to be completely wiped off the planet. We don't think that we could ever get to that point. But the thing about hate is this, is that it knows, the only boundary that it knows is the extermination of another person. So I have to ask, are there people in your life right now that you hate? Are there people in your life right now that you wish no goodwill? Are there people in your life right now that need to be forgiven, yet you're harboring that and making life absolutely miserable for them? Your Bibles, flip back to Matthew chapter 5 and listen to what Jesus has to say in the Sermon on the Mount. And you hear these words from from John and, and you're sitting there thinking, we've heard this somewhere before. Listen to what Jesus Christ has to say in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus Christ understands 
how powerful hate is. Jesus Christ understands how powerful anger is and how it feeds and how it, how it looks to devour other people. John uses this extreme example of Cain, and it's, a very, it's very interesting to me that when he wants to talk about love, but yet he throws out this extreme example of Cain to help us realize how deep and how hideous hatred can be. The exact opposite of love. And so he props Cain up on one side as an extreme. And then he says this in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You can read through the entire New Testament. And one of the conclusions you'll reach is this, is that there is no other writer in the New Testament who writes about love more than anyone else than the Apostle John. There's no one else. John is known as the beloved disciple. John is the one that was in, was, was in the in, inner circle with Jesus Christ. John saw firsthand, he was a firsthand eyewitness to this amazing love that Jesus Christ has. And he knew this, that this message that Christ was proclaiming to love God and to love people was an essential message that needed to continue to be proclaimed. And so John does this. He starts with Cain by looking at one extreme, and he goes to Jesus Christ saying, the greatest extreme of all time, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, this one that shows us what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He laid it down. And the contrast that I want to make here is what, G what John writes in verse 11. He says, for this is the message we have heard from the beginning. Jesus Christ lived out that message that we've learned, that we knew from the beginning. He lived that out. The reason why he lives out that message is because he's the one who put the message together in the first place. He lives out this message that is heard from the beginning. Jesus Christ, verse 16, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So often we look to the cross and we see forgiveness. So often we look to the cross and we see this horrific death that Jesus Christ suffered. And so often we forget that there's a bigger message going on here as well. And there's a quote that's going to come up on your screen and I would encourage you to, to perhaps write it down to even consider it over and over again every single day. And it says this, The cross is not just the means by which we are saved, but also the model for how we are to live. When we're thinking about loving someone, when we're thinking about what love truly is, do we realize how deep that sacrifice is? 
do we realize that this cross isn't something that Jesus was only nailed to, but it's also, also to be a reminder of how we are to truly love one another? Do we realize that? And then he says this in verse 17, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Christ saw the need. Christ responded to that need. And we didn't only need materially, we didn't only need to be provided for materially, which we talked about a few weeks ago in the Lord's Prayer. But you and I have such deep need that there was only one way to have that need taken care of. And it meant that Jesus Christ died for us. It meant that He would have to sacrifice for us. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. God could have, could have stayed in heaven and given all types of signs in the, in the sky perhaps and, and continued to speak through a variety of prophets and said, I love you, I love you, I love you. But what did He do? He followed up not only his speech and words, but with actions and in truth. And Jesus Christ came and rescued us. Love always works. Love always works. It worked to save us. It works to reconcile us to one another. Love always works. When I tell my family I love them, it means this, that there needs to be works showing up that, that confirm that. My daughters, Heidi and Stephanie, as they were growing up, I told them every single day when I took them to school how much I loved them, how proud I was of them. And I tried to follow it up with actions. And I would take them on dates every single week. Sometimes those dates were fantastic, life-altering experiences. I mean, you're with your dad, me. How could that not be impressive enough? But there were other times when I would sit across the table from them, telling them about what's going on in my life and hearing from them about what's going on in their lives. And there'd be times when there weren't a whole lot of words being said to one another. There are times in all of our lives where we wonder if love works. And all we need to do is go back to the cross. Go back to what Jesus Christ experienced for us. And be reminded once again that love does work. I find it interesting that John says, he lists this in, in verse 17. He says, if anyone, sees, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, John's church is, has all these different needs going on and people need to be taken care of, but yet that's not happening. You and I have opportunities every single day to love others. We see the hurt. We see the pain. Will we take up our cross and love them? And care for them. And yes, it might not be, re, be met with, oh, it's so wonderful that you did this for me. But yet, John doesn't seem to be giving any options here. If you see a brother or sister in need, you're called to love them. Right now in your life, who's God calling you to love? Who's God calling you to reach out to? Who's God calling you to perhaps give something of material, uh, some type of material possession, some type of, of help to them, 
to keep them going. And then we come to verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. I want to stop there. The reason why Paul starts with this love in his list of these nine characteristics is because it is first and foremost. It's first and foremost. And then there are those times when we're sitting there thinking, well, do I really love? Do I not really love? I'm I'm confused. I don't know what's going on here. And look at verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and we set and we set our hearts at rest in his presence. What he's saying is, we look to God. We look to him when there are those times in our lives where we're not sure whether or not we're living this outright. We look to him because God's love is not fickle. It is fact. It does not fluctuate. It does not say, today I'm going to love you, tomorrow maybe not. His love is constant. His love is greater than our feelings. And belief always leads to loving others. That's what John is driving at in these final verses of chapter four, of chapter 3. He's driving at, if you truly love, your heart's not going to condemn you. And when it does, perhaps that's the Holy Spirit working in such a way to say, you, you, you need to look at Him, you need to look to God to provide what He's doing there. Verse 23, and this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. He says, your belief, have those beliefs, have those beliefs. And, and this is what ends up happening. Because when you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, you then love one another as he commanded. Believing leads to loving. One of the things that I was reflecting on as I was working on the message this week is, is why is it that Christ's followers are known for more than what we're against than what we're for? Why is it that we're, that we're considered from a, from a, from a uh, world perspective of being a bunch of rule people and yet the word love rarely comes out of people's mouths? Our beliefs are to lead us to love other people. Our beliefs are to help us see this world that is in so much pain that we are on the forefront of loving others. As you grow as a Christ follower, as you grow as a Christ follower, your love for humanity should grow as well. It just should. It should be a natural thing that happens. But how often do we find ourselves more and more disappointed in humanity, more and more angry, more and more frustrated, more and more uh, uh, just with all this angst rather than love? Perhaps those moments when we're struggling with angst and anger and things like that, perhaps in those moments we need to be asking God, help me to love others the way that you love me. And you can always tell a person's belief by whether or not the person loves. You can always tell that belief. It's one thing to say that I love you and then turn around and not show that. Love does work. Love always shows up in actions. So I want to ask you one more question. By the way you treat people, What would people say you believe? 
If people were to simply look at the way that you treat others, what would they say you believe? As they looked at Jesus Christ, who said that he believed in people, that he believed that he was the way, the truth, and the life, they saw this incredible love that he had for them. And, they, and he left no doubt whatsoever that he cared for them because he laid down his life for them. Our love for Jesus Christ needs to be shown in the way we care for one another. And look at the way John wraps up verse 24. He says this, We know it by the Spirit He gave us. The Holy Spirit's on the move. The Holy Spirit is the one that's motivating us to love others. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us hang in there when others don't seem to care. A number of weeks ago, I shared with you about a college classmate of mine by the name of Andrew Brunson. And I shared with you that he's been serving in Turkey for the past 25 years as a pastor of a church there. He and his family have loved, consoled, and shared the powerful love of Jesus Christ with all who came across their path. And since October of 2016, I shared with you this, that Andrew has been unjustly held in prison, where he's been falsely accused of participating in a coup that happened in October of 2016. Over the course of those two years, they've had a few trials where people have lied about him, ramped up their false accusations about him, and repeatedly have denied him the opportunity to have witnesses share on his behalf. Any witnesses that Andrew's lawyers have requested to speak on Andrew's behalf have been denied access to the courtroom. And every single time after the trial, after that portion of the trial is over, Andrew goes back to a cell by himself, wondering what's going on. Over the course of those two years, a number of significant events have happened in his family's life, one of which included his daughter's wedding. The isolation, the pain, and the intense longing to be reunited with his family grows every single day. Needless to say, it has become increasingly clear clear to many that his imprisonment is absolutely unjust. So this past Thursday, there was growing optimism that today would be the day that Andrew would be released. There was a sense of optimism because not only in the United States are are senators and, and congressmen rising up and saying he needs to be released, this is unjust. But other world leaders have been calling on Turkey to let Andrew Brunson go. It was believed through this diplomatic pressure that Andrew would be let go. And so, this past Thursday, Andrew went to trial again. And at the end of that trial, this portion of the trials, the judges ruled that Andrew needed to be placed back in prison and until October 12th when they'll hear from him again. The isolation continues. The longing to see his family continues. 
And no one would be upset with Andrew for being angry or lashing out at the injustice of it all, of calling on people to to bring down Turkey. But something happens when we understand how great God's love is for us and for all of humanity. The love of Jesus Christ has been the motivation behind Andrew's ministry for 25 years, and that love hasn't hasn't faded at all in the last two years. And that love is especially evident as Andrew shared these words with people who saw him after the latest setback. He said this, It is a privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. Blessed am I, as I suffer for him. Blessed am I, as I am slandered. Blessed am I, as I am being lied about. Blessed am I, as I am imprisoned. Blessed am I, I share his suffering. When God's love grips us, and we are tempted to hate others, that love overwhelms that hate. And that anger. And Andrew then followed that up with this prayer. Father, cause me to burst into flame with the love you have for Jesus. That I may be a servant, ardent lover of him. Willing to undergo whatever is asked. First and foremost, the love of Jesus Christ is a game changer. First and foremost, when God's love so grips us, we're able to face the struggles that come our way every single day. First and foremost, when the love of God grips us, we now see the world around us differently. First and foremost, when God's love grips us, we see the opportunities that share, to share His deep love with others through our actions and caring for them. And that love becomes obvious to every person we meet, and it changes not only our lives, but the lives of others. Andrew Brunson's been able to keep going for the past 27 years, not because of some self-help program, but because of the love that Jesus Christ has for him and the love that Jesus Christ has for all people. It's my prayer that First Baptist Church of Salinas would be a place where we love God, we love people. It's the one message that we proclaim. And as we love God and love people, this world would be a radically different place. And may that love be grounded not in us, but may it be grounded in Jesus Christ and his phenomenal love for us. A love that put him on a cross, a love that put him in the grave, a love that rose him from the dead. And he's with us today. I encourage each and every one of us to make the love of Jesus Christ and the love that he has for us first and foremost in our lives as we leave this place today. May we see the opportunities And may we lean on him to carry us through. Father, we pray. As we reflect on these words, we pray that we would be a people motivated by your great love. Motivated to keep caring and loving even when things look bleak. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for that message that he proclaimed from the very beginning and continues to proclaim today. That we are to love you 
and that we are to love one another. May that happen. May you be lifted up. And may we be a people that receives your love so freely and then shares that love so freely that the people we meet would have lives that are changed forever. We need your help. And we ask that your Spirit, the one that you give us, would motivate us and use us and guide us for the advancement of your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Invite the worship team to come back up and we're going to sing a couple more songs and the first one you know very well and may we not forget how incredibly great God's love is for us and may we sing out with great zest and great passion and may we sing wholeheartedly. So I invite you to stand now as we sing these songs.